On the Empire Podcast this week, a massive apple drops in our head as gravity finally rolls into town. Is it a film of the year? Quite possibly, we'll find out later on. And we also have a chat with this director, Alfonso Cuaron. Plus, we say both, hey Jude, and you are the law to Jude Law until he gets sick of it. Plus, all usual news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that can get to Greenwich from Charing Cross in just three stops. Honest, we can do it. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by three of my esteemed colleagues, starting with a woman so geeky she was inspired to become a barrister by the trial of sod scene in Superman the movie. Is that not true, Helen O'Hara? That is n- indeed not true, Chris, yes. That's not what I read on your Wikipedia page that oh, I okay, created fine. last night. Oh, I'm a little creeped out now. <laughs> You should check it out. It's really racy. <laughs> wow. uh, next, we have the editor of the podcast, a man who has the audacity to correct me every time I say he edits a podcast on audacity. It's Ali Plum. I got that wrong again. Strangely enough, no, you got that right. I got right. it right! I got it right! That's amazing! And last, but almost certainly least, is the features editor of the magazine, a man who's edited more features than he's had hot bananas. It's Dan Jolin. Yeah, I do eat other fruit, you know. Do you? I've yeah. never seen you eat other fruit. I do, I do. I eat apples. Actually, do you know, interestingly, in the Middle Ages, they referred to bananas as the apples of paradise. That's a fact we now all know. And wish we didn't. Did you know tomatoes were called love apples? Love apples? Yep. I've got some of those. And moving swiftly on. Love apples was today's bingo starter word for Daniel and Bingo. Oh, please never say that again. Uh, all right, we're moving swiftly on then from Dan's love apples into the answer to last week's competition. We have no sponsor this week, but Beyond Two Souls have sponsored us for the last few podcasts and gave away last week. Two readers had the chance to win two copies of Beyond Two Souls for PS3. And the question was relating... To the Star Beyond Two Souls, Mr. Willem Dafoe, and it was Helen because you hosted it last week. What I was did. It, it was um, which Marvel villain did he play? Which Marvel villain did Willem Dafoe play? And the it's answer toughie, was, of it? course, Sergeant Elias. The no, Green Goblin. The Green Goblin. The Green Goblin. That's yes. right. Sorry, I forgot about that. And the winners are Joe Glanville from Bristol. Well done, Joe Glanville. And Luke Parsons from Bedford. There you go. Hooray! Hooray for them, well done. Uh, the copies will be winging their way to you very, very soon. And of course, you've been sending your questions to us all week via Twitter, via Facebook, and via email. And uh, here we are. Asif Ahmad asks, Who's the most versatile actor of this century? Now, bear in mind, we're only 13 years into the century, but yeah. yes. So is that... I, can't, I don't quite understand. Is that just saying who's risen up? Ignore the century. Ignore the, ignore the century. The century. Ignore the century. We want to okay. get people the same so, questions and ignore you know, the questions. Ignore the questions. Okay. You've got your Day Lewis in your streets, haven't you? You know, those are your kind of. That's your first base answer. But I'm, I mean, he's, I, I, I don't know if he's you know this century. He's any century. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say Gary Oldman. He was on my list too. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. It's because he's brilliant. He's not always in brilliant things, but he's always brilliant. Yeah. Lost in space. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. He was brilliant in Lost in Space. I quite like Lost in Space. Uh-huh. Here's the tough thing. I think you can say most versatile and say, oh, Streep, Day-Lewis. That's fine. But for me, when I look at this question, I go, well, can they do both comedy and can they do drama? Can they can they do both serious and at the same time making you laugh? In a Can they do horror and porn? Yeah, that sort of thing. Or, or horror porn. Yeah, horn, as I call it. I would say Tom Hanks can do that. What, porn? Horn. Okay. I would also say that Charlize Theron can also do the comedy and yeah. and the drama. You look at her in Monster, and then you look at her in, say, Arrested Development, and that's an actress who can do, you know, two totally different things and, and play totally and, and different accents. Yes, that's also part of this question. Sure, uh, Kevin Spacey, I also would put onto that list. I think versatility for me means playing a, a hugely disparate group of characters with, as you said, accents. 
it's all about that, isn't it? You know, can you play someone who's completely different one minute? You know, who's maybe someone from the 18th century one minute, and then maybe I don't know a superhero the next. That's what mm. I think of. So not Sean Connery, <laughs> not Sean Connery, mm. I not would, Sam Worthington. Mm. I would put forward uh, Michael Fassbender out of the the people to emerge in the last few years. I think he's yeah. he's shown he, himself he to be incredibly versatile. He can himself into any different shape. Indeed, he can. Um, uh, I'd add into the perennials we've already mentioned Jeff Bridges who I think is absolutely incredible and, and underrated because he makes it look ridiculously easy he was so good in Fast 6 as well uh, yeah as as the bridge Ludacris mm-hmm. Ludacris oh, oh no that's Chris that's Bridges person. actually I was thinking about Starman just the other day I'd forgotten all about Starman yeah he's really good and yeah. it's, he's great in Starman that's a incredible really guy. odd performance but really good also Kate Winslet who I think can do pretty much anything good guy, bad guy, you know, tragic figure, terrifying figure. 18th century, 19th century, 19th century. 20th century. <laughs> Indeed. She can't, she can't do future. She's not done future. Yes, she ha- uh, she's about to. Divergence coming out next year. Oh, yeah. There you she, go. Oh, well, there you go. She's finally getting all the centuries on her checklist done. I recently went on a YouTube bender through extras scenes, so I'm thinking specifically what kicked it off was seeing the loveliest Patrick Stewart in the world, Sir Patrick Stewart, <laughs> in a bath, dressed up as a lobster for Halloween. This made me want to watch the extras scene where he goes, and of course, <laughs> I've seen everything. You just go through the extras, you know, Patrick Stewart and his best bud, Ian McKellen, and just seeing them do that comic stuff and just absolutely mm. nail it. I just wish we could we could see more of that. Like Actually, saying Patrick Stewart, you've reminded me that Tom Hardy's pretty versatile if we want to talk about upcoming this century in inverted commas people Tom yeah. Hardy yeah being uh, cast as of course the rocket man himself Elton yes John yes yeah. I'm sorry I still can't say that casting without a question mark mm. at the end there's a fantastic photo that you'll be able to see on Empire's Twitter feed which is Elton John standing next to Tom Hardy and them having a nice tight hug and you look at them and go separated the birth yeah twins Twins in in the Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito sense, definitely. Can you just see Hardy wearing those glasses? Yes, I can. That Reg Dwight is so well known for. I think it's going to look. It's going to be very, very cool. Very cool indeed. Uh, Christian Bale as well. That's three. Oh yeah, he's good. he's good. He, he can good. never. He like can't him. do comedy. But he, yeah, that's mm. the thing. He doesn't have a comedy thing. American Psycho would beg to differ. Yeah, he's funny in American uh, Psycho by being incredibly serious. No, the, the Huey Lewis speech. That's great, Raffle. By, by, but he's playing. It. He's playing a character who takes it incredibly seriously. That's what's funny. But the, that's good comedy. Maybe, but he—that's not versatility. He was really funny in Empire of the Sun. <laughs> yes. All right. Fair enough. As okay. a kid, I'll give you that. Also, he sang in Newsies, so there's that. He and he was very indeed. thin in some films too. <laughs> well done, Christian Bell. All right, moving on uh, to the next question from Pickles seventy one at Pickles seventy one. Uh, who's been asking this question for weeks and finally I've relented and put it on the podcast. Simple question, what's the greatest movie punch and hang your head in shame if Angie McCarthy's In Catholic Boys doesn't feature? Well, guess what? At Pickle71, I've done a lot of research into this and Andrew McCarthy's In Catholic Boys doesn't feature. So <laughs> there you go. Anyway, Helen. Defiant, Chris. Wow. Um, okay, a few. I've got a few here, actually. Um, Conan versus the Camel. That's just funny mm-hmm. to me. And also a great name for a movie. Indeed it is. Um, Back to the Future, where yes. uh, George McFly finally mans up. That was on my list. An amazing Absolutely punch. incredible punch. I would say Holly McLean in Die Hard. Mm-hmm. On, on William Atherton. William Atherton, yes. absolutely. At the end. Groundhog Day, Ned Ryerson. Mm-hmm. 
fantastic sucker punch. Speaking of sucker punches, Hulk Thor. Yes, these are all good punches. And I also like Independence Day, uh, which is Will Smith punching the alien. Welcome to Earth. Yes. Absolutely. Those are mine. My favourite punching scene... Uh, that, come on, Bruce Willis in The Last Boy Scout, right? Mm-hmm. Right? That's so obvious, I'm surprised that that, that that wasn't the one on there instead of Catholic Boys. Touch me again, I'll kill you. Yeah. Um, and I... I always like Albert Finney uh, hitting Gabriel Byrne in Miller's Crossing. Everybody it's, hits Gabriel it's, Byrne it's in Miller's Crossing. several punches, but I, I, I like... Yeah, everybody does. Everybody and does. Everyone is great. But yeah. I like the fact that that ends up with him falling onto the big lady's bosom and her going, ah! Yeah. He, he is one of the great movie punchies yeah, in, that, yeah, in that film, yeah. Gabriel Byrne. And uh, I tell you who else can take a really, really good punch. Harrison Ford as Indy. Yeah. Just constantly having mm. the crap knocked out of him. Yep. Yeah. And knocking the crap out of other people as well. There's lots of really, really good punches in, uh, in Last Crusade. I actually did a picture quiz on the website, which you should check out. It is called The Ultimate Punches Picture Quiz. Good. And so I am well versed. <laughs> I think we all are, weirdly enough. You mentioned Conan and a camel. Mm. Blazing saddles and a horse. The horse, yeah. Mm. One go. Jim Carrey beating himself up in the bathroom in Liar Liar. Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant. Ed Norton beating himself up in Fight Club. Spoiler. Hermione dropping a... That's big, not a good punch. A big bag of fist. That's not a good punch. Who on this list? There have been barely any ladies. So she I'm doesn't sorry. sell it. She doesn't sell it. She doesn't sell it. She doesn't sell it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm... She sold it to me. Really? I've watched that punch. More times than I'd care to admit. And uh, no, she doesn't sell it. The arm doesn't extend properly. There's no weight behind that punch. You are attacking Alfonso Cuaron. I am. This is a critique. Uh, how dare you in this of all days, in this podcast of all podcasts, diss Alfonso Cuaron. <laughs> on, this, on this national Alfonso yes, Cuaron it's... appreciation day. <laughs> exactly. How can I do it this? might as well be. Let me rephrase what I said. <clears throat> I think that film is a masterpiece. And I think that Alfonso Cuaron should be our king. However, I don't think she sells it. I think it's her fault. I think she was brilliantly directed and is a wonderful actress and a great human being. I think she doesn't quite sell it. Also, it'd be remiss of me not to talk about Evil Dead 2 on the, on the podcast because Bruce Campbell also beats himself up in Evil Dead 2. That's almost a separate question. Who beats himself up the best in cinema? <laughs> uh, I've got a couple more. This is slightly left field. The Jackass Boxing Glove getting rocky. <laughs> That's amazing. Incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. Bam. Bamming people in the face, splash yeah. of water on the left hand side, thumping massive glove on the right. Yeah, such good. I want to say cinema, but really, is it? Uh, then there's of course uh, Happy Gilmore, where Bob Barker, you know, those belly punches, the price is wrong, bitch. Yeah. Uh, absolutely love that scene. I, I've watched that on YouTube. I possibly have watched half of the hits that are on that uh, on YouTube. And finally, Brad Pitt getting thumped into an imaginary pool of water in Snatch as he slow mo floats and wobbles into the air and then splosh. And he does a great recovery from that as well. There's a great punch that follows on from that that wins the fight. Uh, I would say a couple more. Uh, there's an amazing one in uh, the 8th Friday the 13th movie, Jason Takes Manhattan where Jason literally punches someone's head off. That happens and it's on YouTube. You can go and check it out. Uh, so please do that at your earliest convenience. And uh, you know what? Andrew McCarthy and Catholic Boys that's a great one because he punches someone. Moving on. Uh, to at Gary West who asks with Gravity getting its UK release what's your favourite space movie scene? Dan <laughs> Space movie scene Space movie scene Do you scene. know what actually I actually think really hard about this because when you're talking about space movies mm. you're not just saying it's science fiction or it's set no. on other worlds it has to be something that happens in or close to the cold vacuum of space itself so I'm going to go with Sun running No actually <laughs> <laughs> 
I know it seems like I talk about Silent Running every time, almost as much as Chris talks about Evil Dead 2, but... Event Horizon, um, surely. Or Event Horizon. I'm going to say... my uh, list? <laughs> I'm going to say Dark Star, which is the second John Carpenter film with Star <laughs> in the title. Yes. I've mentioned... The t- uh, but yeah, uh, I just think... I, I love Dark Star. I think it's one of my favourite set-in-space films. And I don't know if this necessarily counts as in space itself, but the argument with the bomb, the philosophical argument, they try and talk the bomb out of exploding itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, by because Bond believes it's his entire purpose to explode, therefore it must, and they try to talk it out of it. I really like that. But then at the very end, with one of the guys surfing mm. through space to Benson, Arizona, that, that John Carpenter song. Yes. Love it, love it. So I'm going with that. Better than 2001. <gasps> Blasphemer. It's not National Stanley Kubrick Day, it's National Alphonse Quarant right, Day. It's right, open you're season you're right. and Kubrick here in the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go for uh, the opening shot of Robert Zemeckis' Contact, which is just amazing and made us all feel very, very small, I can imagine. Yeah, love it. As did Wall-E for me. Wow. Oh, the dance in space. Oh, so that's beautiful. a nice scene. Oh, you're talking about dancing in space. Then you've got to go for the scene from Airplane 2, the sequel, where no. the, uh, the two pilots are sucked into space and end up dancing together and I think it's Ted Stryker who watches him kind of going am I seeing what I'm actually seeing and they dance off even though less scientifically unrealistic a little bit yeah I would like to mention uh, Apollo 13 uh, because and I think my favourite moment in that the one that completely breaks my heart every time I see it is as they orbit around the moon they slingshot around the moon to get back to earth and uh, and uh, Tom Hanks watches and realises he's never going to land on the moon and that's really sad oh they're right. going to say they get around the moon and earth is gone earth is gone <laughs> yeah, it's <just> terrifying <laughs> yeah. um, I, also have a, I also have a sneaky love of, of space camp just because it was total wish fulfilment when I was a kid but I'm not going to justify yeah. that in any way further not a film but the final episode even though it wasn't aired as the final episode of Firefly which is called Objects in Space which yes. tackles such important topics as everything Jean-Paul Sartre has ever done and existentialism but it is very very good and there are some interesting obviously there are budget limitations on TV but um, give me the name and do the best accent of the name of the character the bounty hunter Jubal Early yep I can't like his voice is so amazing and that's part of the reason why I love it anyway that episode is fantastic and uh, again like I like I said earlier it's not a film but that has a really nice space set Hmm. resolution of that episode cool two more very very quickly uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine yeah. a great leap between uh, the Icarus 1 and the Icarus 2 which yeah. is fantastic yes. and oh there's a movie called oh what's it called oh, Event Horizon that's right oh, where Cooper is so. in space and he's like oh no how am I going to get back to the Event Horizon and he goes I've got a rocket pack and he uses his rocket pack to get himself back to the Event Horizon and then he just slaps onto the window just as something evil's about to happen and he distracts the evil baddie. Didn't sell it, did I? Anyway, let's move on. If you want to send in your questions to us on the Empire Podcast, we're on Twitter at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast, otherwise we won't see it. We're on Facebook at Empire Magazine and we are on email, podcast at empireonline.com. Please send them in. Okay, time for the first interview of the pod now with one of our finest actors. Please be upstanding for the star of the don't actually stand for the star of the talented Mr. Ripley both recent Sherlock Holmes movies Gattaca Side Effects and now the raucous crime thriller Dom Hemingway he is of course the brilliant Jude Law and recently we sent Ali and Phil to have a good old natter with him 
actually, before you listen to uh, Jude Law uh, talk to myself and Phil, uh, just a quick couple of points of information. Uh, we talk about Breaking Bad from the off. Uh, the interview just kind of gets going straight away. Uh, that's because when Jude Law was in the office for a web chat, which you can check out on EmperorOnline.com, uh, we talked about Breaking Bad a lot. He's a huge fan. Uh, so is Steven Soderbergh, who was the director with him, obviously, for side effects. So that was the connection. And also, I talk about a movie I love, which is called The Matador, which is the movie that the director of Dom Hemingway, Richard Shepard, did back in 2005, uh, which starred Pierce Brosnan as an assassin who kind of loses it when he's in Mexico. Uh, it's a good film. You should check it out. So I just thought you might want to know those two things uh, before you listened. Anyway, enjoy. What's next, then? I tried something the other day when someone was... Because, you know, after a while, things get a bit boring, really, when you discuss them. And there was someone... who was, Breaking Bad came up, and there was someone uh, in the room who hadn't seen it. I went, don't bother, shit. <laughs> and everyone, I mean, the looks around the That's table. amazing. Yeah, they were, everyone was... No, no, justify that, justify that. No one, no one could believe it. And I, I was like, fuck. You humor. make me sick. What happened to humour? Don't you think... Uh, I don't know about you, but I've now gotten to the point, though, where, particularly because, like many Brits, I came to it late, mm. I watched it very intensely. So I could probably go back to the beginning and enjoy the yeah. movie very, very happily now. Nick in the office has restarted. He oh, is, really? He is, your brother is about brother, 13 yeah. episodes in. He's just tipping into the second season. But anyway... For the second time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's also watching all of Frasier. So, wow. yeah. It's quite the mix. He's a busy man. Does he have a, yeah, Does other, he have a life? Other than that. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. It's... And believe it or not, he squeezes in a life as well. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Pretty incredible. <laughs> Let's talk about this film, Dom Hemingway. Yeah. I rewatched The Matador last night because wow. this film gave me the opportunity to do so. I love The Matador and I, I saw parallels. I saw parallels. One of the parallels was, was, was that Pierce Brosnan in that film is wearing a pair of black pants and kind of ankle-high cowboy boots, and he walks through a hotel lobby. Yes, I remember, and jumps into a swimming pool. Jumps into a swimming pool. You one-up him by going stark bollock naked, walking through an olive grove before Richard E. Grant punches you in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Did you call Pierce Brosnan up and say, I'm going to story how do, top how you? How do you do this? How <laughs> do you do it? Was there, was there any... No, I, let myself I don't tend to call on other actors for their uh, genital input um, <laughs> in any which way. Really, you have to ask... Richard Shepard, the writer-director of both films, what he's got about men <laughs> having breakdowns and strolling naked into public places, I don't know. With amazing facial hair. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Interesting, slightly retrospective facial hair. He did say a funny thing in Toronto at the festival that he, he had this idea of writing a film that started with a man talking about his penis. and Which happens in Dom Hemingway. Which is how the film starts. And he wrote around this character for months and months and months, and it wasn't until he wrote that scene that it all just came out... I mean, oh, God, hang on a minute. The film then just Emerged. came out <laughs> of his pen uh, in one fell swoop, and a year later we were filming it, but it all came from that moment. What kind yeah. of film is this? It's the kind of film where a man will say that his cock is like a leopard or a cheetah. That's right. In the a, first a two work minutes. of art, and but yeah, for two, well, for for five minutes, and doesn't stop, doesn't relent. That there's sort of strange humour to the way he talks about it. It's an ode, you know. There, there's sort of rant. There's slightly something slightly uh, maniacal about it. There's um, something aggressive about it. There's something very funny, you know. In a way, you get a sort of a slice of Dom very very quickly, <laughs> and you realise very quickly whether you can take this man or not. He he has a very strong sense of. Theatre, 
I thought like he I agree. he fills each room he's in yeah. with with volumes. So yeah. He's just a bit too loud for whatever room, even when he's in a massive yes. you know, prison canteen. Well, we discussed that, and there's a little hint in it. Funnily enough, it was one scene or one little section of the of, of, of the film. I always thought, mm, do we need that? Should we trim it? And then Richard, the the, the right director, made a very interesting point that, that he thought it kind of hinted at the what Dom could have been. And it's when he talks about the uh, theatre, he, he, uh, the, the, the performance he gave when he was in reform school and that he was a pretty good actor. And you suddenly think, actually, so much of Dom and what I, I, I love about Dom is that he could have been something, maybe. That he has the spirit and, and the sort of... The, the, the performance skills and the balls to, um, <laughs> to have maybe um, made something of himself. And he certainly sees himself in that sort of legendary you know, a uh, 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 spotlight and, and the way he refers to himself in the first person all the time. But of course, paths didn't mm. fall that way for him. It, I think also that, that, that theatrical quality is, is, a, is an element of survival. Probably goes back to how he survived in a dangerous and rough world, you know. It's like doing impressions when you were a kid to get away from the bullies. That kind of exactly. Thing. The funny guys or the guys that, you know, I imagine Dom had been, you know, I imagine the reason he met Dickie was that he was taken to the pub by his dad from the age of about seven. <laughs> There's Richard E. Grant just sitting there. Richard is there maybe five, six years older, so, you know, and they and they probably grow up in his boozer together. It was, it was funny to see Dickie Greenleaf and... Dickie Greenleaf? And oh, Dickie. Oh, Dickie, oh, yeah. You calling him Dickie. There was, a, there was a certain joy. I mean, there were a couple of moments of his which were just astonishing. Yes. Was there much corpsing as part of shooting this? Only when we watched it back. I mean, I'll be honest, <laughs> I was in such a kind of frame of mind for the whole duration of sort of embracing and, and also allowing myself to let go and become Dom. It was such a thrill, such a sort of uh, uh, an opportunity to behave appallingly that I wasn't really aware of what anyone was doing. I was, I was really in this sort of whiskey mist of... of, of Dom delight <laughs> and and a uh, suit several sizes too small and mutton chops that could take someone's eyes out. Like, yes, when you get into character, I guess you can't go half measures when it comes to. Well, not with him. No, we had to go. Yeah, you know. Funnily enough, talking about that first scene, I one of the one of the the one requirements I said to Richard at, at this pub when we decided that we were going to do it was that I do that scene first, and I thought, you know, we have to start this whole thing off as we mean to proceed. So I said, look, I want to do it first day. And so I strolled on, stark bollock naked, and the whole crew did the scene. So you were actually off. naked for that scene oh, because yeah. you, you're only obviously framed. Oh, well, there were we other shots see the... and they were cut from <laughs> DVD extras. No, Hello, no, no. People. Believe you me, they won't be anywhere. Um, uh, and uh, Why? Can I ask why you needed to be? Well, first of all, because if you, the only other option is to wear a sock. <laughs> is that a technical term? Is that fire alarm? Yeah. It's a Jude Law alarm. Dom's in the building. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Does that happen often? You said yeah, sock, fine. penis sock, and the alarm went off. Yeah, I, yes, I did, didn't I? <laughs> go on. Um, Please go and on. There's something comical about those. Also, you, 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 you know, it gives framing issues. And, and like I said, I really felt, look, if, if I'm going to go all the way with this character, I wanted the crew to come with me and be aware that I was going to be up to really ridiculous and dangerous <laughs> stuff and that they had to, you know... Be in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. And it just felt like the right way to start. And it, it's funny because we talked to you. you can tell I've been in the gym every day for months getting, you know, really toned up for the part. The burger gym. <laughs> the burger gym. <laughs> and so I wanted to show off my new abs. <laughs> we, we, you came and talked to us about Anna Karenina, which is a film I love, in which your character has a condom 
a reusable condom oh, yes. in a little box. Yes. It literally couldn't be further apart in the kind of sexual no, indeed. scale. That was the, the, the joy of reading Dom, I suppose, and knowing after something like Karenin that, that this is a job, you know, acting can be a job that lets you go there, goes to the other, other degree. Mm. You've got Amelia Clark in this movie. Did you ever admit to her that you haven't watched Game of Thrones yet? Well, I have. Oh, really? Yeah. So were you saying Kalisu? I've come to it rather late, and I'm now only just going back to season one and two. Oh. Um, but I, I got hooked in the last season, mostly because the producer of our film, the wonderful Jeremy Thomas, gave me the box set and said, you know, you've got to get into this because, you know, Amelia's pretty amazing in this show. And um, so I sort of got hooked because of, I was told to. Wow, you had to research your your co-stars. Yeah, I was, you know, you you got to like know what they what they're up to. You can't just sort of stroll on and go. What do you do? Guest cup of tea. <laughs> oh, you're in it. Sorry. Oh, oh you do TV, do you? Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> I've heard of this. She uh, she was uh, she was interesting actually. I, I kind of I always described her to my to myself. Listen to me, weirdo. <laughs> I I always set her up the character as as like Dom's kryptonite. I, I was uh, wondering. We had Rufus Hall, the immortal Rufus Hall, on the podcast maybe a month or so ago. No, more he than dies in every movie he's in, though. I don't know how immortal he? he is. Yeah, no, well, much. maybe not immortal. Um, yeah, when he clearly not immortal. Clearly he not. Dies every time. He... But he was talking about a movie that's kind of close to my heart, The Holiday. Oh, was he? And he was saying that he kind of close to your heart <laughs> because I am or, forced to watch here? it. Yeah, <laughs> I keep it under my my trousers. Um, I'm forced to watch it because it's a Christmas film, and I, I think once you've watched any movie maybe twenty times, it's kind of it kind of loses its charm. Yes. But that is a movie that he, he refuses to watch because his girlfriend loves it, but he refuses to watch it. Are there any movies in your back catalogue that if it's on TV, you won't watch? There are, there are many, mm. many, many, many. I mean, I, 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 I'm a believer in... I'm, I'm not one of these actors who... And I don't always believe them. And I never watch my films. I mean, I've got a kind of interest in watching them when I'm still... This sounds odd, but related to them, like sure. when they're still a part of the, the process. And I like to see where and what the director's done with it and what they've done with me and did my work work or, mm. you know, and I kind of grade it and rate it and, and then I move on, but I don't really ever want to see it again. It's a little notebook with your marks. Yes, yeah. It's a, there's a, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a bar chart, actually, in my bathroom. <laughs> Filled in with pen... <laughs> felt tips. Um, yellow for bad. <laughs> no, not at all. I, but I, I don't really... I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not someone who, if it's on, I kind of... Linger. I mean, having said that, I was watching telly with my two youngest children the other day, and we were flicking over, and Gattaca was on, and they'd never seen it. They've they've not seen really any of my work, and we and I lingered on that because it was just coming up to the bit when I was uh, pulling myself up the stairs, yeah. and I wanted Rudy, my little one, to see that. So, and they laughed at me actually, which was really <laughs> mean. <laughs> I was trying to explain the backstory of this boy, this man, you know. <laughs> And then they just giggle, saying, why, why are you doing it like that? That looks really silly. So uh, I don't tend to dwell on any of them. And that's not because I think any, they're, they're, they're unwatchable, certainly not. It's just that I would probably, probably be hugely critical and I would probably be... You know, I have very fond memories mm. and I like them to stay that way. And I imagine if I see the films, I'll only analyse them, over-analyse them. Mm. I imagine when you're thinking about a film like Cold Mountain, which mm. obviously you had an Oscar nomination for... And you work with Anthony Miguel, who you had, you know, probably your most kind of intimate. closest, in, intimate, darling, <laughs> crazy partnership. Yes. You think about, you were in Romania for six months on that film. And, yeah. And there was a lot of noise around it in terms of the budgets and, and 
yeah. it was a challenging shoot and a challenging role for you. Probably yeah. think about those things more than the film itself, I guess. And the final exactly, and 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 I think you know, you know, if you go through uh, old photographs, mm. you get really interesting flashbacks to the moment the photo was taken, and it's not just a photo; it's the whole holiday, or it's not just the photo; it's the uh, wedding or the whatever it is and you get a sort of small sort of almost cine film of oh I remember what was going that and this strange flashbacks also of, of how you were feeling and what you were at and oh god you know, I was with that you know terrible girlfriend at the time or I was very depressed or whatever it might have been when you watch a film it's it's the same yeah you know you remember how cold it was or oh yeah and we were stuck up that hill for so you're not really watching it you don't lose yourself in it because you have you carry with it a kind of ghost of experience Mm. that you can't help but flash back from and remember and it might make you laugh in the in the most you know you may remember a scene that was very intense but you were busy i don't know trying to keep your hands warm or whatever it might be you think about the cock sock or something exactly <laughs> that's why i didn't wear one because i just didn't want to lose the moment in 20 years time when i'm watching don <laughs> with your kids i didn't want to think cock sock yeah Come on, kids we're watching the first scene of don Hemingway. you're gonna love this Exactly. I may no, not that, have thought this through. My 17-year-old uh, was quite keen to see Dom Henry, and I keep saying, y you're going to be shocked. He was saying, how shocking? Nothing's going to shock me. I said, nah, <laughs> you'll know very quickly whether you can watch this film with your dad in it or not. You'll know very quickly. Uh, you've had the birds and the bees chat already, I guess, long before. Yes. Yeah. This could be like this the second, of, the second go round. This is Weasels and stoats, though, isn't it? Really, let's be honest. There's nothing, nothing birds and bees about it. It's, it's just, not. There's it's not a lot of purity to that moment. Uh, we we do something on the podcast which is called the IMDb Bunker. So the IMD Bunker. Oh yeah, it's a very clever pun, which I'm very proud of. So this is all the trivia that's apparently true on your IMDb page. I was wondering whether I could just double check some of this nonsense. Yeah, here's a good one. I think. Band Brand New has a song named after you called Jude Law and the Semester yes, Abroad. They do. On their album, if you're wondering, listeners, your favourite weapon. Are you a fan? Did they ask you permission? They didn't ask me permission. I heard it. It's been around for a while, that song. And someone played it to me because I didn't believe it. And indeed, it's not very good. It's not very good. <laughs> no, I wish I could say it's sort of, you know. Sorry. I wish I could say it's Radiohead, but it's not. It's, I mean, it's the perfect example of who I am. And I'm just so grateful that they yes, tapped exactly. into my soul. Is it true you broke a rib falling back backwards uh, whilst filming a certain scene in Talented Mr. Ripley? Yes, yes, several actually. Several, mm. better more than one in the in the boat, in the in the murder scene. Yeah, the murder mm. scene. We yeah. were both pretty battered and bruised. I'll tell you a funny story about that murder scene, though. I don't know whether the shot was ever in the film, but Anthony had this great idea that, in fact, I think they shortened it. But there I am, dead in the bottom of the boat, and um, Tom Ripley, Matt Damon was meant to then tie a rope with an anchor around my ankles and and tip me over, and they had this beautiful shot because the water in, the, in, in, in that part of Italy is so clear, of me literally going, <laughs> disappearing out of view. And we worked for ages in this tank with this stunt guy, and I had this release pull on this anchor so that I could disappear out of shot and then swim away. And, and we got that shot. It wasn't very hard. Then there was another one with a stunt guy uh, where they were going to be able to really watch someone disappear much deeper. And this, this Italian guy, we come to the day, we're out in the middle of the sea, and this Italian guy goes, yes, I have a man who can do this. I have a man who can do this. And Anthony was like, great, great, should we do it? And he went, no, he's in Rome. Well, we need him now. He said, oh, I thought you just said, can we do this? And I said, yes. <laughs> he said, well, you said that you had a man who could do this. <laughs> yes. 
we need him. We can't get him. He's in Rome. So it just went on like this for, until it was apparent that he'd indeed answered. He just hadn't made the phone call. Yeah. We wasn't lying. So that shot is not oh, in it. Anyway. Is it true you kept the shirts from your characters in Talented Mr. Ripley, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil and Gattaca? Yeah, and a lot more, yeah. I collect I collect a lot of the shirts. I'm a bit of a, uh, a geek. I collect a lot of the kind of memorabilia. The bone gun <gasps> from Existence and... Uh, which is in there. Which is in this issue. You after. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I just like, you know, I, basically I'm a thief. I steal, <laughs> I steal whatever I can on my way out the door. <laughs> Do you have the teeth from Contagion? Yes. No. Tooth. Tooth, sorry. Just the tooth. Mm. You surprise the kids with that in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the gums from Road to Perdition. Wow. And like the big extended gums. Wow. And they very generously gave me the camera for Road to Perdition, which is very beautiful. Really? Mm. That's fantastic. Mm. There's another one, which is that you've played, this is true, this isn't really a MD bunker, but you've played two characters that Michael Caine had previously played before you, obviously, in yeah. Alfie and in Sleuth. Yeah. And we wonder, what if you were to play a third and make it a hat-trick, if, a Caine hat-trick, what it would be, Ali and I were saying, obviously it's going to be The Swarm. <laughs> Jaws 4D or 4-3 or <laughs> whatever. Four, it is, the Revenge. <laughs> no, it would have to be the man who would be king, Pinky. Oh, I was just okay. thinking of those p- mutton chops, and I was just thinking, but why am I? Be, who could maybe we get McAvoy to play Connery? Pop? That's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> that is not a bad idea. I like to the that. idea phone. You, <laughs> you I love it. You one of the lovely bits of symmetry in your career is you started off early on playing a TV Sherlock Holmes yeah. with Jeremy Brett. Yes. Which I was watching on YouTube and you play, you play, play a, a bloke who, you play a a bloke who wants to be a jockey. <laughs> well, no, that's right. But hides as a woman. He right. goes into no, no. The the wife of the sort of lord of the manor dies, or the sister, and he has to pretend that she's still alive so that he gets some kind of money, and so he hires the <laughs> poor old stable boy who wants to be a jockey, me, <laughs> to dress up as. Uh, mind you, back then I did look rather like a girl. I was about sixteen, seventeen. You were certainly fresh face, very fresh face, very pretty girl, feminine. Um, well, you told us that you've been talking and having meetings about a third Sherlock Holmes movie. Yes. Have you, you've had meetings since you told us that you were having meetings. Yes. And how did they go? <laughs> they went really well. Thank you. Well, and these meetings, who's in them? You're all in them. Um, Good sandwiches. We were... Oh, it's delicious food. Whenever Robert Downey Jr. goes, there is very good food. He and I and uh, Guy and uh, Lionel and Susan, our wonderful producers, and um, we had two days, really, of... You know, I've probably talked about this in the past, but the process of writing those films comes, you know, starts with a with a, with a script and a sort of structure that then Robert and I kind of improvise around. That guy then edits. That we then sort of um, we we mine a, a, a book of Conan Doyle quotes and so on, and sort of rephrase a lot of our adaptations that by using Conan Doyle phrases. Anyway, so we, we sort of started on that process without a script, just to find out where and what we could come up with. And we came up with some really great stuff, I think, but, you know, it's um, it's not so much if, if as when. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, Robert's obviously very busy, and mm. I'm busy now through till next year, so hopefully mm. late next year. There's got to be a Baskerville hound in there somewhere at some point, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. That's, that didn't come up, actually. But you're right, might be. Although, that, has that one been overdone? No. Oh, good, he's shaking his I, well, head. I no. I, mm, mm. Well, look, I, see, I'm not sure. What, what, what I think we've been successful at doing is weaving in references to some of the, the, the lesser-known and better-known Holmes novels 
and yet ne- on kind of always coming up with our own as well. And I think that's worked really well so far. So you're right that it might have to be in there, but whether it would actually be a Baskerville hand, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm, well, I am, I'm a bit snobby when it comes to Baskerville. I don't think it's a great story. But anyway. <laughs> I agree. And Holmes isn't in it. Not enough. He's, he's, out, he's enough. out pretending to be a gypsy on the moors mm. for f- almost two thirds of the book. Disappointing. Anyway, anyway. Uh, thank you so much for joining thank us, you. Jude. So uh, there you go. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank Brilliant. You. It was really fun. Thank you so Good. much. Okay, now it's time for your movie news. What have you got? Yes, there's been a casting call for a certain Disney movie, uh, which went out via Twitter. Uh, it wasn't just in this country, although we saw the one that referred to Glasgow, Bristol, London, but there was also one in America. So it's not they're not just looking for, for, for British kids here. Uh, but yes, uh, so there's this big Disney movie coming up, and they're looking for someone called Rachel and someone called Thomas. They don't have to be called that. Uh, really? No. Really? That's not their actual names? The characters Okay, we'll sorry. Them. We'll say... We'll say uh, Leia Jr. <laughs> and and Little Han. How about that? Yes, it's Star Wars. We Casting think. call for Star Is Wars. Is it really? Are we sure? I have. Well, you see, you see, my man at CNN, yeah, uh, who I was talking to yesterday, says yes, it definitely is. And the BBC say yes, it is definitely is. Um, so. You know, I mean, certainly these character descriptions that they've released with this casting call are consistent with the character descriptions yes. we've heard in the past. Well, indeed, any for Star Wars, any Hollywood action adventure film. But yeah, <laughs> should we? Should I read them quick, quickly, quickly? So Why Rachel not? was quite young when she lost her parents. With no other family, she's forced to make her way in a tough, dangerous town, Tatooine, Coruscant. Who knows? Now seventeen, she has become street smart and strong. She's able to take care of herself using humour and guts to get by. Uh, and then Thomas, we've got, he's grown up without a father's influence. I can't think of how many Hollywood heroes <laughs> have done that. Uh, without the model of being a man, he doesn't have the strongest sense of himself. Despite this, he's smart, capable and shows courage when it is needed. So so there you go. That's some insights there. And I, I do believe it is episode seven. There's some insights there into the kind of characters we're going to see. Uh, and they're both young. They're, they are young, handsome. Younglings. Younglings. Young, handsome or good looking people. Girl is 17 to 18, boy is 19 to 23. Must be handsome, smart and athletic. Yeah, which rules out everyone in this room. Harsh, man. Oh, He's right, because even yeah. as I am yeah. handsome, smart and athletic, I yeah. am sadly too old for the role. Yeah. Which is weird, because my midichlorian count is off the charts. So You look so happy when you <laughs> say that. Do you love my midichlorian count? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is this is interesting. I'm not sure if these are the actual leads. This has been reported as these are the lead roles in the movie. I'm not so sure if they will be. I imagine they'll end up being supporting roles. But uh, mm. I think one of, the, one of the things people are talking about is a huge movie like Episode Seven is now going wide. Mm. So... Has has JJ not found the actors that he wants for these roles? I mean, everyone in Hollywood's been in for the last few months to audition. But maybe it's one of these things where it's almost a point of pride to discover somebody. Um, you know, a lot of films you hear about, we want to break somebody new. We want someone who hasn't been out there already. Mm. Because, you know, if you if you cast a, a Saoirse Ronan or something like that, or a uh, Chiwetel for you know, that's a person who's already established and there's less of a, I guess, a, an uplift in their fame levels and they they don't know every single thing in their life to you. Um, that's maybe being really cynical. But I think there is, there is a sort of a, a point of pride sometimes about just launching a career with a character, having a completely clean, clean slate to work with. Yeah, but this and, is different, though, from just doing a normal audition with, with qualified 
actors sure. who, are, who belong to equity. These open auditions basically means that anybody, if we were right age, we could walk in and audition for Star Wars Episode Seven. So they're trying to find mm. a needle in a haystack. They're looking for an Anakin Skywalker in the Outer Rim. Maybe, and again, being incredibly cynical, maybe they're doing a Selznick and trying to just, you know, get people really excited. I mean, Selznick kind of landed on Vivian Lee a lot earlier than he admitted for Gone with the Wind. Mm. And, you know, and then kept the kind of casting Ferrari going. Maybe they're doing something a little bit similar. Maybe. Some roles for Lucas's Star Wars were filled in a similar way. I mean, obviously, Peter Mayhew was a, a hospital orderly at the time. He wasn't an actor. Uh, Dave Prowse. So, you know, maybe they, they might strike uh, gold again. Dave Prowse, of course, from Bristol, as was Cary Grant. So if they find Tradition. another Cary Grant, another Archibald Leach, then who are we to quibble? Hmm. I mean, it's interesting here that it says open to all ethnicities. Yes. So that doesn't necessarily mean these characters are offspring of already established characters. That's very interesting. That's a very good point. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Um, because the assumption was that, you know, and we were joking the other day yeah, on Twitter well, about Rachel Skywalker, yeah. Thomas Solo, etc., yeah, etc. Exactly. Et cetera, et cetera. exactly. But um, yeah, that's very interesting. But of course, down the bigger news, I guess, with Star Wars. Well, not I guess it is the bigger news. Is we have a release date finally, a release date for Star Wars Episode Seven and a colon Star Wars colon Episode Seven, which is not the way the other films have been formatted. Mm. Uh, it's out <laughs> December eighteen. I oh, know. Sorry, it's the the, the pedantic in me. The yeah, sorry, the, pa- the the pedant. The pedant. Sorry, the the pedant. It's the pedant in me. It clearly is, yeah. 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 I just okay. there's something about why put a colon in now? What does it mean? What does it mean? I think it probably just means it's a. I just, uh, yeah. I think you're overthinking it. I'll be honest. It's always been Star Wars. Well, not always, but Star Wars Episode One, and then a dash, The Phantom Menace. Not a colon. A dash, The Phantom Menace. But now it's going to be Star Wars colon episode seven. You think this is going to be less dashing? Maybe this is a temporary measure until they have a subtitle. Has George signed off on this? Does George get to sign off on anything these days? Is this basically their first sign of rebellion? Hey, George is gone. Let's put a colon in. I think we're burying the lead here. December (laughs) the 18th. Oh, yes, sorry. December the 18th, 2015. So not a summer release, a December you could say a Christmas release I mean, December the 18th I think the important thing here is it's not just summer it's not a May release we will not be able to do endless May the Force be with you jokes well we will, well, we, we, still will. will. We, we still will and of course most of the uh, prequels in fact I think all the prequels weren't released in the UK in, in May anyway So in the UK so that's fine that's okay we can get away with that uh, but yeah December is going to be interesting um, as I said on Twitter last night it puts it up against a fourth Hobbit movie uh, but also it does put it up against uh, World of Warcraft or Warcraft, Duncan Jones's Warcraft movie. Although I imagine that'll move, even though he issued a, a sort of "come and have a go if you think you're hard enough" uh, thing on Twitter last yeah, night. Yeah, that'll move. I think it'll move. But, with uh, with the greatest of respect, I really liked what we saw at Comic Con. I'm looking forward to it. I'm intrigued by it. I haven't played the game, and I don't care. But at the same time, you know, I think the film could be cool. But it'll move. Yeah, whether it moves a week or so. Yeah. Yeah. We also got more details from JJ about why there was this writer, not switcheroo as such, but things have got a little bit more complicated. I'll try and get this right, so I'm sorry if I uh, get confused. Essentially, it was recently announced that JJ Abrams himself and Lawrence, someone do the same. Kasdan. I always want to say Kazdan. I believe it's Kazdan. Not how you do it. It's Lawrence (laughs) Kazdan. And Lawrence Kazdan. And Lawrence Kazdan. Uh, will be taking over the script duty for Star Wars colon episode 7 from Toy Story 3's Michael Arndt. So people were thinking, oh, is this some kind of power grab? Have they run out of time? What's going on here? Well, it's 
more on the time side of things they just want to make sure that because they need to get this film going in spring next year in the uk production they need to write as they do it more or less and they want to make sure that they can do it kind of on site uh the quote we have here uh, as reported by deadline was this working with michael this is jj working with michael was a wonderful experience and i could be a bigger fan of him or adore him more he's a wonderful guy and incredibly helpful to me in the process this doesn't preclude working with michael again in the future it became clear that given the time frame and given the process and the way the thing was going that working with larry in this way was going to get us where we need to be and where we needed to be essentially on time so yeah it's a timing thing so it is a timing thing i mean to be honest people have been saying for months there have been rumors for months that jj wanted um a, a slightly further off release date than the summer um the, this the story was at one point that he was kind of pushing for late 2015 maybe even early 2016 the studio was resisting although i'm i never quite was understood i never quite understood why they would because they've already got avengers 2 lined up for the summer so presumably their summer is looking pretty rosy already and this actually from a business point of view makes quite a lot of sense for them i would have thought to kind of spread out the big hitters um across the year uh, but yeah and this gives him a lot more time to finesse everything to get it absolutely where he wants it to be and i've never been in a, a believer in sort of you know struggling for a release date that you think is going to be tight so i think it's got to be good news for star wars fans even if they do have to wait an extra few months does he say anything about the colon he says let me just check Hang on, i'll check again i'm yeah. going to check one more time okay no he doesn't he doesn't you're the only person JJ, Chris. jj what are you doing man you put a colon in the title and you haven't explained why uh okay uh well i'm sure i'm sure in, in time he will explain that uh but there you go that's the big star wars news there's a colon in the title and a release date as well but speaking of other things Disney have done that are quite surprising again they announced this uh, very interesting thing that uh, Marvel who are now of course owned by Disney Mm -hmm. uh, have announced four new TV shows well slash miniseries I guess on Netflix which is very very interesting it's going to be Daredevil Iron Fist Luke Cage aka Power Man of course and uh, Jessica Jones and then it'll build up to a Netflix Avengers-esque event where they come together to form a group called The Defenders. From the guys that brought you Orange is the New Black and House House of of Cards Cards comes Jessica Somebody. (laughs) Dude, this is good news. This is good news. this This is as tempting with TV what they've already done with film. This is phase one on TV, you know. Well, kinda. Kind of. Uh, it's also very interesting that most of these characters, all th- three of these characters, uh, with the exception of Jessica Jones that we know of, mm. were all in active development for movies at one point. So I also think that this is streamlining Phase 3 at the moment. Kevin yep. Feige has talked about, you know, they have tons and tons of options for Phase 3. Um, Thor The Dark World is going to be huge, I think. So they're going to be wanting to do a Thor 3 at some point, possibly a Captain America 3. Uh, Avengers 3 will be, will be part of Phase 3. Will he be doing sequels to other things? Will it be a Hulk spin-off movie at long last? He said in the past, he th- I think he said to us in our podcast, that he doesn't really want to go above two movies a year. Yeah. So this reduces a lot of their problems. They don't have to do a Daredevil movie now. They don't have to do a, uh, an Iron Fist movie, which they've been developing for years. So they can focus on other characters like Doctor Strange, who I think are more cinematic. Yeah. Uh, Iron Fist, uh, Luke Cage, Daredevil are all, and Jessica Jones, are all New York-based. Yeah. They're all slightly smaller scale in terms of their powers and what they do and the, and the, the villains they fight and uh, I think that's possibly one of the reasons why they, they belong so nicely on the big screen together can we a small screen small screen 
Although you can watch it on a big screen. Or if you have a really big screen in your yeah, house, and sure. technically yeah. that's a big screen. Uh, let's do a, People know what, who Daredevil is, so we don't need to explain who he is, right? Hopefully so. That's, that's not assumed. I think the important thing is he doesn't look like Ben Affleck anymore, um, necessarily. He is, of course, the blind superhero with super developed senses of hearing, which means he can essentially kind of see um, via echoes. Agility and reflexes. He Incredible. is the man without fear who lives in and works in Hell's Kitchen. Iron Fist was trained in the mystical city of Con Lun and is, as you may have guessed, very proficient in the martial arts. Uh, he earned the title of Iron Fist and not Iron Man, sorry, just the fist, by plunging his fists into... Thank God you finished that sentence. <laughs> the heart of a dragon. The molten heart of a dragon he just killed. Yes. Well, if he hadn't killed him, that would just be rude. You see this dragon carcass and just go... Right. Let's well, des- I mean, maybe he was like dragon. a cardiac surgeon. Let's desecrate this body. Uh, yes, this gives him super strength and guess what? Agility and a really big punch. Uh, Luke Cage also has a big punch. He, was, uh, <laughs> he does have a big punch, He really yes. does. Uh, he was sent to prison for a crime he didn't commit and was uh, merging as the, in the Los Angeles underground. Um, but he also has uh, bulletproof skin. Let's well, mention well that. yes, let's, he, let's mention he basically, he, um, in order to get parole... Uh, he he basically volunteered for an experimental treatment, which left him near invulnerable Who hasn't? and super strong, strong. Well, I'm pretty sure you didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> He's um, also, of course, the guy that Nicolas Cage took his name from. That's how cool he is. That's right. <laughs> that's absolutely right. Uh, and uh, th- there's been lots of talk about a Luke, Luke Cage movie for years. He is. He I think he was known in very fairly on. Certainly, I, I, when I first read, read Luke Cage comics, he was Power Man. He teamed up with Iron Fist. He was very much a duo. There were Power Man and Iron Fist comic books. So you can go and check those out if you like. But he was very. They've been talking about a movie for years. Of like a John Singleton attached to direct. And uh, I know that the likes of Tyrese Gibson have been circling the role for a long time. Google Empire Online Quentin Tarantino Daredevil to see what QT would have done with this character because he had a pitch back in the day. It's um, it's interesting. I'll say that much. <laughs> Joe Carnahan's take on it was interesting as well. He was pitching something to Fox uh, because Daredevil only recently reverted back to Marvel. Fox had it for a long, long time. Obviously, they made the movie in 2003, uh, held on to the rights, and didn't really know what to do with it could they reboot it because the, the movie it has been much maligned over the years but check out the director's cut it's, it's actually very good um, and uh, it was a success it did it did, it did well yeah. uh, back in 2003 so I think there's a lot of mileage in the characters but uh, they didn't know what to do with it Joe Carnahan made a, a very nice pitch he wanted to make it a very sort of 70s noirish kind of thing and I think that's certainly somewhere you can go with uh, Daredevil on the small screen interestingly though um, the Netflix method is that they will shoot 13 episodes of these things and they'll stick them all up at one time. Yeah. But what's their approach going to be? Are they all going to be 13 origin tales, 13 episode origin tales slowly building and building and building or what are they going to do? It'll be interesting. I, I don't know if they'll go that route on the basis that having four simultaneous origin stories might feel a little repetitive and I think they might sort of introduce some of them as, as fully formed characters already. Is it four times 13 so each character gets 13 episodes? I believe episodes? so and then and then the miniseries with all of them afterwards. I mean it'll be it'll be really interesting if they do it something along the lines of the way they did Arrested Development the most recent series of that where they they release it all but each char- each episode in that case was simultaneous and you had characters ducking and diving in and out of each other's storylines but having their own storyline uh, as well. You can actually kind of imagine them doing something similarly kind of meta here mm. which could, could really like open up some interesting options. We should also cover uh, Jessica Jones, who was a high school classmate of Peter Parker's, who got her powers when she was uh, in a car accident involving a military convoy 
carrying radioactive material. So she's super strong and can kind of sort of fly. Uh, I think this is really interesting. There's a lot of things that can be said about this. Uh, one of them is budget. We know that Netflix have thrown tons of cash at House of Cards. For example, House of Cards, they, uh, they lavished $100 million alone on the first uh, season of House of Cards. And so I, I can imagine if people are going, oh, well, these are going to be characters on the small screen. It's going to be small scale. Maybe not. Maybe mm. they can have budgets of 50, 60 million. Maybe the Defenders, which will be slightly bigger in, in scope, I guess, then maybe that could have a $100 million budget. And also, I mean, what they might be doing here is is avoiding, like, you know, ABC is, is obviously showing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the moment. That's owned by Disney. It's a natural kind of fit for Marvel, also owned by Disney, to, to go, you know, release a show on. But... If, if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been criticised for, well, it's been criticised for quite a few things, but the main thing it's been criticised for is being a bit fluffy. Um, presumably, by partnering with Netflix on this, it gives Marvel a little bit more room for maybe some edge, maybe some darkness, maybe some extra kind of violence. It, it You know, you could end up with a slightly different tone from what they've done on the big screen, as well as what they're already doing with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, these are characters that uh, are almost R-rated. But Daredevil is very much a dark character who operates in a very, very murky, seedy crime underbelly. Uh, and so I, I think that that could translate. I'm maybe not saying R-rated in terms of swearing and whatnot, but certainly no, in but terms of level of violence and the intensity of the of the, of the shows, maybe we could go down, go down that path. Also, I'd be very interested to see what this means for casting. Uh, can Netflix and Marvel attract big names to play these people on quote-unquote, the small screen slash iPad. Can they do that? And uh, also, it's very interesting you mentioned ABC, because I think a lot of people are thinking Disney, ABC, Marvel, corporate brand synergy, all together. So it's very interesting that Marvel have had the uh, autonomy to separate themselves from, from ABC and the Disney juggernaut and go with Netflix. Rather than, and I guess that's probably a good thing, because you don't want to overload ABC with a Marvel series every night. I think that's probably true, and I think that you know this is this is really interesting. Will we, for example, see crosses between these and Agents of Shield if that's still going on when these get on the air? Yeah, you we- know, could we see crossover between these guys in the movies? I mean, it, it's really interesting to know how far uh, Kevin Feige's you know tentacle-esque master plan extends. I'm kind of re- I'm really intrigued to see what they do with it. I think it's a as I said about the Avengers. In some ways, it's an experimental movie. It's never been tried before to get the, the leads of four different franchises together on screen like that. Um, and this is kind of the same thing on the small screen. How is this going to work? Nobody has any idea because we've never seen it done before in quite this way. Feige's always said that the uh, the TV stuff isn't really his area, and that he's very much focused on the movies. And there are other people like Alan Vine. And uh, I think uh, probably Louis Desposito at Marvel, who are kind of focusing on the, on the TV stuff, while while Feige takes an overview of it all. But yeah, it will be interesting. If the, if a Defenders is a huge hit, will we see a Defenders movie? Do we need to see a Defenders movie if we have a TV series? I'm thinking, and this is an odd thing to say, I know, but I'm thinking in terms of the other studios must be kind of wetting their pants, uh, not in a good way, <laughs> where they're going, wait, so they're taking some of their biggest properties, their biggest IPs, the ones with, for me, the most potential, Daredevil especially, and they're putting them on TV. Now, I pay for Netflix in the UK and that costs me six quid a month. Yeah. If you're saying I'll be able to get four times 13 episodes of all these things, then a miniseries afterwards for essentially that price, I know it doesn't quite work like that when you you know put it into an Excel document, I just, you know, compare that to the money you get when I go to the Odeon here, you know, near my house and it's 10 quid for a ticket to see it once. Mm. No 13 episodes. I'm just thinking this seems to be not watering down their, you know, financial avenues, but I... That's a terrible metaphor. But I I don't know. I'm just curious as to why they've decided to take that risk. I think there's something to be said for it. I mean, I think in some ways, some superheroes certainly have 
worked best on the small screen. Um, uh, there's certainly an argument that, you know, it fits the format maybe better than the big screen, given that, you know, they came from comic books, weekly serialized stories, and it makes a certain amount of sense to continue that kind of format. For for some superheroes, some of them work brilliantly, given a, a movie budget. Um, but, you know, we've got a very healthy series of Arrow going on at the moment. They're spinning Flash off that. They've got the plans for Flash. You know, there's a, a James Gordon series being planned so you know there are you know dc characters for example also out there and getting the superhero treatment but this is a different approach and that will be the the contrast between how well this work works compared to something like arrow will be really interesting to see i think so and because netflix don't release ratings as well it's gonna be interesting because lots of people are talking about oh is the superhero bubble ever gonna burst and we won't really know. (laughs) We won't really know, will we? And of course, you you can you only watch these things if you want to watch them. Whereas you know the likes of Agent of Shield are in much more of a sort of under the microscope, very very publicly, whether they get ratings or not. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, but of course, if Netflix are listening, and I know that Ted Sarandos listens to the show. Hello, Ted. How are you? Uh, please bring back the tick. <laughs> That's it. Thank you very much. Amen. Amen to that. Uh, what's next? My new stories, there are two of them, um, not that big, so don't get too worried slash excited. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is launching a From Dusk Till Dawn TV series. It will not star Quentin Tarantino and it will not star George Clooney. No way. That may surprise you somewhat. Uh, Elsewhere, we've had El Mariachi, the series that's being developed without his involvement, but this one will have direct involvement uh, by Robert Rodriguez. He will direct the first two episodes. The DJ Corona will play Seth Gecko and Richard Richie Gecko will be Zane Holtz. These aren't people I know that well, but there you have it. Don Johnson will be taking over Michael Park's part as Sheriff Earl McGraw, and a new character will emerge called Texas Ranger Freddy Gonzalez, being played by Jesse Garcia. This is on Rodriguez's own TV channel, isn't it? El Rey. Yes, which actually appears in Machete Kills. That's the El Rey is the uh, sh- uh, the, the the station that uh, breaks all the news stories that appear within the film Machete Kills. So there you go. We've already kind of seen his TV station. It's in the king. Yes. Many many questions, but this is what he has to say very quickly. If the movie is the short story, the series is the novel. We have assembled an amazing cast and crew, and viewers can expect to be part of a wild ride when the series premieres on El Rey Network. Here's hoping the series will kick off. Um, well with his two episodes being directed by him. The other thing is that Joe Cornish of Adam and Joe fame of Attack the Block fame has been asked again apparently it's not kind of confirmed it's not official here's the contract please sign it or don't uh, to direct Star Trek 3 with a view to making the movie come out in cinemas by 2016. He's been asked before and he's politely declined before but they are reopening um, uh, discussions because he is working hard on his adaptation of Snow Crash which is a uh, novel which you should check out, we talked about it previously on the podcast uh, and that's also with Paramount so you can see how the connection is still going in there they're obviously encouraged by his work on Snow Crash and he was in the running obviously for Die Hard 5 at one point as well, so it's not like he's completely disconnected himself from big blockbusters Maybe it'll be one of those one for us, one for you deals and they're like, if you do Star Trek 3 for us we will actually fund Snow Crash in the way it needs to be funded God, I'm cynical today. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> hey, let's get back to happier stuff. What you got? Um, they're talking about another Wolverine movie. Um, so this would be a sequel to The Wolverine. We don't know anything more about it yet, except that uh, James Mangold... He will Mangold, take a shirt off. 
at I some think, point. I think we can points. put money on that. It was funny, actually, because a colleague leaned over to me when we went to see the Wolverine this summer and, and asked do you think he'll take his shirt off within the first five minutes? And it literally opens with him <laughs> with his shirt off. Technically, that wasn't him taking his shirt off. That's True. Him with his shirt off. With his shirt off. Yeah. I apologise. Anyway, uh, so Jackman's apparently back. James Mangold is in in the mix. He's at least going to write a treatment. The expectation is he'll probably direct, but obviously nothing's been signed yet. Obviously, Lauren Schiller Donner back again to produce. Um, and the big question is, what do they do now? Well, yeah, that's because, I mean, you know, Wolverine, as, as, as anyone would know, is, is, is the best X-Man, is my favourite X-Man. But beyond the miniseries, I'm not actually that aware of solo Wolverine stories and personally think he works best in the context of a group. I, I, think, I think he's a great character. Um, I think, and I think in the past, certainly the problem for me with Origins was that there were too many mutants around him. If I want to go to a Wolverine movie, I want to see a Wolverine movie and I want lots of Wolverine. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you're right, he does bounce off very well against other people. Um, we've got a feature up on the website discussing some of the options in terms of time frame. When do you set it? Because mm. Days of Future Past actually, you know, makes that a little bit complicated. Yeah, I've got a feeling that Days of Future Past is going to reboot the X-Men franchise. So I, I think that it could go off in its own direction. I don't necessarily think that in the sequel to The Wolverine, Days of Future Past would be looming in that character's future. No, I, ag- I agree. That's one of the options we, yeah. we kind of identified. Um, but equally, I mean, there's just, there's so many time periods you could set it in. He's been around since the 1840s, according to the, the current lore. Um, he's also, I mean, there's a question of, do you bring in some, do you bring in, I mean, he's often been, uh, he's often worked with a younger female kind of protege in a, in a series of miraculously uncreepy relationships <laughs> genuinely um, we saw him go off with Yukio at the end of the yeah, last and we, film and she just disappeared she, she disappeared, disappeared. So, what so what happened to her that would be one way to do it you could bring in Jubilee Jubilee I'd love to see Jubilee you could team him with Gambit bring back a Gambit maybe not necessarily Tyler, uh, Taylor Kitsch but it could be another one yeah um, bring back Nightcrawler he's not in Days of Future Past and he's about the only one who isn't yeah second best X-Men <laughs> I, yeah it's, it's interesting because uh, the Wolverine I know we talked about it at length on the podcast uh, when it came out but for me it felt and I reviewed it for the magazine for me it felt that it got two thirds of it right Yeah. the last 20 minutes is, is as I said in the uh, review aggressively awful and I think that if they can stay away from that sort of cartoonish comic book movie Bondy villain type route that they went down and uh, and get back to basics with uh, uh, sort of I hate the word badass but uh, sort of that iteration of the character yeah. then um, perhaps they could they could I'd, I'd be quite interested to see this. I want him to get lost or called back to the Canadian mountains so he and Gambit and Nightcrawler, they'd have to team up for some spurious reason, face off against the Wendigo because it's so huge and amazingly big and Hulk-like, but not importantly the Hulk, and they take it down and take off the curse or whatever. Wendigo would be good because there's a little bit of kind of, you know, tragic backstory there as well um, in terms of it is somebody under a curse, which is kind of cool. Um, and you could have almost a horror movie kind of a Wolverine. We've had the sort of, you know... 70s paranoia-ish Wolverine we've had the kind of Japanese set very kind of classical family drama Wolverine let's do something completely different this time I would say though can you stop moping about Jean Grey get over she's gone deal with it you're so harsh move on and she was Cyclops' girlfriend yeah yeah precisely it should be Cyclops every morning if he hadn't been vaporised off screen 
in the last stand. Anyway, I think we're over it now. <laughs> glad to hear that, Chris. Yeah, well done. really glad to hear that. So uh, let's see what happens with uh, the Wolverine 2. X-Men Origins, the Wolverine 2, Wolverine three. the 3. <laughs> Moving on now, because we have our second interview of the week. It is, as you know, National Alfonso Cuaron Appreciation Day. Indeed. So let's talk to one of the most innovative and exciting directors working in Hollywood and London today. He's a visionary genius, his visionary genius. He's a director behind Itumama Tambien, uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Children of Men, and now the astonishing achievement that is Gravity. He is, of course, Alfonso Cuaron. He was talking to Dan and Phil. I've got another preface here, which is a bit odd, uh, which is that the audio here isn't the best. It's not what I would have loved it to have been. We had to do a couple of re-records for the questions because basically there were some technical snafus. It's 16 minutes long if you don't find it to your liking just maybe jump ahead but um just so you know apologies in advance uh anyway here's alfonso Quaron. well we are absolutely thrilled and delighted to be joined by alfonso Quaron on the empire podcast this week um alfonso welcome thank you first of all i think congratulations are in order because this film gravity is the biggest october opening in the u.s box office i believe yeah 56 uh, million dollars did you are you someone that kind of sits by the email waiting for the figures to come through or where were you? Actually not I mean and uh, I was with my kids so I you know it's you, you get too busy when they are, you're around <laughs> so and eventually I would go and and I check and I was like oh wow that's good news and then I just kept on being with my you know doing the school runs and stuff <laughs> you, you know it's, it's so great all of this stuff and is I'm very grateful about it but then you go back to your real life and you realize what is real and you realize what is real and what is not. And it's, it's just that. And by the way, I'm very pleased. I'm very <laughs> pleased. And, and I'm pleased because more than anything is that it just represents people going to see the film. And I'm very happy about that. I don't think that box office makes you feel better. You know, mm. is if, if if it was like, oh, my God, did all this money means that my movie got better, <laughs> then I would be very happy about about the box office, you know. But the box office is, is it has nothing to do with that. Also, how many movies, you know, that they make a lot of money and they're crap? <laughs> you know? Yes. Or, or how many movies they make a lot of money and get a lot of awards. And then two years later, nobody remembers them. And how many movies they don't make money, then nobody gives them awards, and then they become classics. So all of that is very circumstantial and deceiving. Uh, talking of awards, I've, I've read people suggesting Gravity could be the first sci-fi to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, how do you respond to that? And is there an argument that, that it's even sci-fi at all? Well, first of all, in the sci-fi, I have no idea. Right. I'm very happy if, if, if people want to call it sci-fi, I'm happy, I'm comfortable with that. Uh, that I wasn't attempting to do a sci-fi, no, no. I mean, I, it's, it's a film that takes place in space nowadays. Um, but I'm okay with wh- whatever definition is, is being put to the film. The other stuff, again, I, man, that's, I don't know. That's, that's not in my hands. It's, uh, and, 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 and it's great, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's like the box office, it's good news. <laughs> yeah. mm. You know, it's not bad news, it's good news. All of this is great. Uh, but that doesn't change the film. And, you know, it's better than the, the alternative. That definitely, you know. And it, it feels very good. And I'm, I'm very grateful. I mean, and, and it's surprising because it was four and a half years in which yeah. it was so filled with adversities. It was so filled with problems and stuff that, that 
and, and we finished all of this process two, two weeks before Venice. Mm. So everything has been like, wow, look at that. And, you know, when you thought that you had done the biggest mess in planet Earth and suddenly people are responding positively. I mean, we were proud of it, but we just we didn't know if if it was going to connect at all. So it's been interesting reading the different ways people have connected with it. Uh, one Christian blogger wrote, if you follow the trail, it leads right to Christianity. I was sitting there thinking uh, it's all about finding the strength within yourself. Um, but where, where do you stand on that? That is just like the science fiction label. If, if you see it as, as God, <laughs> God, make, make it God. It's fine. Because if you rule your life and you do your life like that, I mean, it's, 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 it, and if it gets you through your life, it's great. But if you, you, there's another view of that that is completely biological. Yeah. And I always, and, and I said, and also it's, it's, it's very valid. I mean, it's like, um, I don't think that the, that the film tried to do any, to, to be at any moment any kind of indoctrination of anything. Mm. <laughs> nor for creationists or evolutionarists, you know? Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's about the inner strength of, 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 of humans. And again, people project... I think it's, that's more interesting about how people project their own beliefs into, <laughs> into something. It's, there's a fascinating story behind making this film and very complex in terms of the technology that you employed and the way that you kind of put it together. But when your friends call you up and go, Alfonso, you made this movie Gravity, how did you do it? Can you just explain in like, you know, on a quick phone call, how, how do you kind of just paraphrase that process? Can you do that? Or is it just like, it's, it's too, I, I mean, need a week. to really understand it's too abstract. Yeah. And uh, uh, yes, I can, I can say everything was, most of the whole film was pre-programmed. We have to do animations. Mm. And most of the whole thing was pre-programmed. And then we have we have several technologies applying that pre-programmation. I mean, the lights were pre-programmed, the cameras were pre-programmed. That was a nightmare for the actors. And all my my admiration to Sandra of how she performed under pre-programmed conditions. You know, she had to. Um, she was bonded by timings and what very precise positions. It was more like a like a choreography, like a dancer mm-hmm. performing. Uh, and uh, it, it, but you know, like uh, I, I guess that that's how I can explain. We're going to have in the DVD. We're going to have a very cohesive kind of journey of how the whole thing is. It was made because um, I can talk about the different technologies, the famous light box, mm. you know, but uh, that is a cube with LED lights. That is uh, an empty cube in, in which all the walls are LED lights, in which we would project in those lights the POV of the character, and the, and the actor would be right in the center, uh, and that would provide the lighting to our 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 lighting. But um, I think that if people see it in in action with a proper explanation, I guess that they will understand the whole thing. In one Q and A. That question was, man, I started explaining the whole thing. Mm. I was with George and Sandy, and suddenly I, I just hear, <laughs> and the two of them were like this. <laughs> uh, please tell me this movie is going to have a Lego set attached to it. I think it would make that amazing, would be awesome. you amazing know what? I Lego. have to say, with, in the whole process that we were still finishing the film, and, and we released the first trailer, the moment that there was the Lego version of the trailer, I said, okay, I cannot ask for more. 
Oh, I haven't seen that. You know, it's nice. better than the trailer. I love it. Yeah, I love the Lego version. Yeah, actually, it would have been great to do this whole film in Lego. Your kids have all the Harry Potter Lego. You know, my kids, until this year, suddenly they hated Harry Potter. And I tried, you know, they, they, they just, I guess it's just because I did one. Yeah. And, and, and so they, they, they were not into it. And, and suddenly this year, they, they got like heavily into Harry Potter. Like in one week, they saw the whole, the whole thing. And now, you know, I had all these props and Harry Potter props and stuff that were thrown mm. like completely. They didn't care about them. They were thrown over. Then suddenly they start taking them out. And wow, what do you have? I have, you know, like a, a castle. No, I, I have like a magic wand, and some divination kind of situations, like mag uh, like the ball, the magic ball. I yeah. called the sphere with glass, the glass ball. Yeah, I had that. What else? I have a couple of things here and there, you know, but they were literally like lost between toys and stuff. Right. And suddenly now they... Yeah. Where's Marvin now? Where's Marvin. the Martian? Marvin. Okay, we... The, that Marvin that you saw, it's... Um, it's uh, that, that, that was actually a, a, digital, uh, a digital Marvin. But we had one as a reference that I have. Oh, marvelous. It's, uh, I'm glad to hear I'm that. glad you I noticed love, Marvin. I love Marvin. Yeah, Marvin is the coolest one of all the, of all the Looney Tunes. Yeah. He does a cameo in, in Close, yeah. Close Encounters as well. Yeah. Well, actually, this film, the model for this film was Duel. Really? Spielberg, yeah. That's so funny, really. Yeah. Wow. Was, yeah. It does feel like a chase movie. All the time. Well, it's just and like that. You, instead of the, 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 of a truck, we have the debris. Yeah. We've been hearing about some of the notes you got from, from the studio in terms of, you know, can it have a bad guy? Well, it's, it's just unfair to say the studio. I mean, there was some voices here and there. And, and uh, that, that, yeah, they would say, why don't we have flashbacks? Yeah. Why don't we have Houston? You know, then you, we keep on cutting to Houston, and uh, maybe there's a, a a love story between Mission Control and 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 and, and Sandra Bullock. You know, you, you start hearing all this stuff, and and I get it. You know, like it's, it's a you're doing a film that is you know fairly expensive, and and it's just one character floating in space. So there, there was certain anxiety yeah. uh, in a very early screening that we did a preview that it was so painful because we did a preview with... The whole point of the film is the immersive quality of, of it. And, and we did a preview with audiences with previews. You know what? The previews are very crude animations mm. and bits and pieces of actors just, uh, just in the rigs. Uh, that it didn't make any sense. Well, I mean, it, it could make it... Yeah, yeah, it could, you could follow the whole thing, but it didn't, it didn't have the, the feel of, of the yeah. film. And, and there were actually not only studio audiences saying, I wish there was an alien. There is. <laughs> it's Marvin. <laughs> well, Marvin, I know, but they wanted an, an alien or a monster. Is it so? Because you know that if wow. you do something in space, there's always an alien and a monster. I mean, just as the guys in the yeah. space station, you know, they always see aliens and monsters. Or a virus. Or, or, or the virus, exactly. So they, that, that was the comment of the... They wish, but even audience is saying um, this movie would be much, much better if they had flashbacks. Yeah. You know? So that's because that's the that's the normal tendency. That's what people know. Yeah. So they they try to say, why don't you do it like that? And then when it's finished, that people didn't question about anything else. You know. Yeah. 
It's funny because if they'd made Jewel now, they would have said to Spielberg, we need to see the villain climbing out of his truck at the end. And we need to have a fight in a showdown. And we need to explain why the villain is after him. Maybe he had a difficult childhood. We need to see some of that. Oh, then you go back into that flashback of thing is that you have to show it like that mm. is if you ask the people th- th- this is the thing i mean and, and and that's the thing i'm worried about testing mm. people will tell you the film that they want to see problem is that they are not filmmakers they're not artists as a reason they are audiences and so they don't have the imagination of things something else so they're going to tell you what they are familiar with and the problem is that you offer that they will watch and says well it was okay but it was like anything else I think it's important just for me, all these previews, that actually I like just because I'm just, I, uh, it's, it's a tool to see, okay, you know, I was trying to communicate this and I'm not communicating it. Or this thing was not clear enough. You know, but hmm. that is what is good. I mean, I, that's what the tool that I use. But besides that, all the opinions of, well, an alien or a monster and stuff, well, you cannot just be pleasing everyone. I always imagine because filmmakers come on the podcast and we talk to them about, about this, this, the preview screening process and it sounds a bit like the filmmaking equivalent of going to the dentist. It's like a kind of, you can, there's things that you can take out of it, but when well, the no, dentist... It's the opposite, the, the opposite because the film is in such a shape that for the audience it's like going to the dentist. I actually, it's not, I cannot say enjoy, but I find the, the, the process helpful. I mean, if you, if you know what to look for, I mean... I show it, but but it's just, I like to, in the process of making the film, I, I like to show it to people, not necessarily a corporate kind of preview, but like just showing to people, mm. people that you don't know, and you just feel the temperature in the room and, and see, okay, yeah, uh, that thought, that, that th- because when you're together with audiences, suddenly you, 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 you perceive your film in a different way than you're in the cutting room. Mm. You, you get more unnerved about things. You know, you start feeling the, you know, you, you, you start feeling the, the vibe of your film. So what's next for you? How do you follow that? Oh man, by a long nap, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I, it's just, it was four and a half years that pretty much connected into Venice and from then into releasing the film everywhere. And yeah. it's been, again, after being in the cave for four and a half years, it's been, it's been fun, it's been great. But, but also very intense, so... There's got to be something bubbling under, come on. Well, I, I, well actually, yes, I started writing something with Jonas. Okay. But now, because he's Mr. Importante, <laughs> he's, uh, he's directing his film. So, uh, uh, we... Uh, this is your son, obviously. Yeah, Jonas, yeah, who, who wrote Gravity with me. And he's directing his film, so I guess I'll wait for him to finish his film so for us to finish the, the script that we're writing. Would you do another kind of science fiction, kind of not? Because, uh, you know, this did follow Children of Men. I don't know. It's because I don't, f- you know, it's, it's this, that same thing about about putting boxes into things. We like boxes. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. Like You put Sandra Bullock in a box. Uh, yeah, exactly. The only one when she was a naughty girl. Yeah. I would put her there. No, I, I, it's just like Children of Men, I never thought it was a science fiction film. Actually, when I were doing Children of Men, it was about the present as yeah. well. Yeah. You know? So, and this one I never thought as, as, as a science fiction film. And again, if, if they are, I'm happy with it. Okay. 
Yeah. Mm. I had um, a a final question for you, which is that you, you, you kind of associated with these amazing tracking shots and there's one at the beginning of Gravity and there's a very famous one, obviously, in Children of Men. I wondered if you'd had a, if you have a shot from cinema that you kind of look to, whether it's, you know, the beginning of Touch of Evil or something kind of maybe less well known that you particularly love and you'd recommend people go and look for. Wow, I have a, a zillions of those. I have zillions of those. We have one and a half minutes. Okay. Give uh, us a any, any shot of, of Jankso, the Hungarian filmmaker who did all this amazing, uh, I mean, if talking about traction, because I like editing. Mm. And I have uh, in touch on it, of evil. I find it even more impressive, the 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 killing in the motel room in the hotel room than than that is completely chopped, than the opening actually. I like it better. Yeah. But um, but like those, I mean, you have Sukhorov, you have you know Russian arc that is amazing. Uh, you have any Max of Fools kind of shots. You have all these amazing shots of Scorsese or Coppola. And you know which ones are my favorite? Probably. Goody Allen or the Dardan brothers that you don't even notice them and they are like just very long continuous shots wonderful some good tips there we have to wrap up but Gravity's out on November the 8th watch that and then watch some Sukhorov best of luck for the UK opening I hope it matches the US thank you very much right. Alfonso thanks so much lovely man Alfonso Cuaron uh, and asked to kick off our truncated review section this week with Gravity in which Sandra Bullock and George Clooney are astronauts stranded in space when debris takes out their shuttle leaving them floating around with seemingly no chance of making it back to Earth and I should mention that the review section is truncated because there's virtually nothing else out this week because every studio is running scared yep. of this phenomenon that's the so, force of gravity should they be running scared of it Helen yes it's absolutely fantastic. It opens with a sort of, what is it, 19 minutes uh, single I, I, I shot. Keep, yeah, I think they think it's, I think David Heyman, the producer, said yeah. to me it was about 12, 13 minutes, Fine, but I, I haven't timed it myself. So a very lengthy opening yes. shot, uh, unbroken, uh, establishing them in space. It's one of the most gorgeous single images I've seen in, in cinema history ever. And then everything goes horribly wrong and you're basically sitting there gnawing on your knuckles mm. for the next hour and a half um, and honestly I mean it, it's a fantastic performance uh, from from both stars they're the only s- faces you see on screen are Bullock and Clooney which in terms of percentage of the cast being handsome is, is probably the highest ever um, but uh, they are the only faces you, you see you, you hear a few voices as well but it's basically just the two of them and and up against every possible odd in terms of survival you know the, the film opens with the line life in space is impossible and essentially proceeds to demonstrate just what that means. You know, mm. they're up against every conceivable obstacle in terms of survival, and it is a pretty terrifying and a pretty um, gripping ride. Absolutely, yeah. It's just it's 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 non-stop. It is non-stop action. There's never a moment when nothing is moving on screen. Uh, it's it's uh, well, not that I can remember anyway. Um, and it, it, it does slow down to reflect a few times. There are there are there are moments of, of reflection, including one notable one. Yeah, that I think some people who might have issues with the movie might take issue with a certain scene about halfway through. But yeah, no, I've read a few. I've read a few reviews that that you know were kind of like it was going great until that, and then it was terrible. And it's like, well, actually, you know, it's just it's just trying to be about something else as well. It's yeah. trying to, you know, it has it does have layers, but. Okay, fair enough. But it it does feel like more of an action movie than most action movies. Yeah. Doesn't yeah, it? I, I would say so. Yeah, it, yeah, it it starts off. 
it lulls you to false sense of security as Helen was saying and then you go oh this is quite nice and very pretty and then oh my god everything's falling mm. apart and because it's so silent it just it's glorious yeah it does at times use a big blast of music when it needs to but mm. what I liked most about it was the 3D and how often do we have that comment made uh, in yeah it's true actually you know, in, in modern cinema shall I say I was blinking and shielding myself like you know when you first saw 3d well for me when i first saw 3d it was watching like a shark like imax crappy thing by the seaside and it wasn't really that good at all this i was properly covering my face it involves shrapnel and parts of satellites breaking up and flying towards you and Mm. it doesn't feel gimmicky it feels totally part of the story it's not like a spear being thrown at you and it got me it really got me you should watch this in 3d Do, do not watch this straight if you can actually go for, go for IMAX 3D, I think it's uh, it's it's one to see on the biggest possible screen around uh, with with full on 3D. I would absolutely mm. agree with you on that. Um, and and again, hu- hugely impressive performances from from Bullock and Clooney um, because you know most of what they're reacting to wasn't there. Like 90% probably of what they're reacting to wasn't there, and they were working under the hardest technical uh, you know conditions imaginable in that they had you know cameras literally coming towards their faces on rails like a bullet um, so and, and still having to act in the middle of this while remembering to, to hit very precise technical marks for everything mm. that would be added in afterwards so from both them and obviously from Quaron that's an incredible achievement to have to have orchestrated those those individual components and, and made it all come together the way that it has absolutely brilliant actually a lot of those components were already in place that's why it was so yeah. challenging. It wasn't even that they were editing afterwards. It's that they actually built them up beforehand so that they could get the lighting right, you yeah. know, of, of where the earth was over there and how the light was falling on them. So it was that Quaron would say to them, you know, during this scene, you've got to you've got to physically start with your hand over here and then your hand's got to end up over there. And during it, you've got to, you know, sell the story of, of this woman and this man in these extreme circumstances. Yeah. The other thing I would say is that even if you're not a sci-fi fan, this is only technically sci-fi. I mean, there's science involved and fiction involved, but it's not space aliens. It's not something that couldn't happen. You know, it is not Mm. Star Trek or Star Wars. Um, It's a lot closer to reality than that. Now, I know that Neil deGrasse Tyson and people like that have, have nitpicked some of the science, and that's fun to do, but kind of beside the point actually in terms of what you know what uh, height of orbit some of these things are on apparently some of this couldn't happen doesn't really matter the fact is it, it feels very realistic it feels not so much sci-fi as it does just action adventure and i think people should should definitely be aware of that and not I, be put off i think for uh, astronauts in the iss and other satellites around the earth uh, this must be the most scary film of all time. This must be just terrifying because it's it's a horror film, isn't it? It's essentially one little piece of debris, one little tiny piece of debris can start a chain reaction that will uh, ruin your day, pretty much. And, <laughs> and then some. Yeah, and then some. And, and it's not like you can just... GPS. Yeah, you can't, you can't just, uh, you know, go into Halo and, and get a cab home. I've, I've long maintained that the best reason to be on Twitter for all of you out there is to follow at least one astronaut who's currently in space. Um, I know that they watched the trailer on the ISS right so I'd be I, we've got to keep an eye on them over the next few yeah. weeks and see what they think of the film itself but I know Chris Hadfield who was the former commander who's recently come back down to earth I think has already seen it and loved it so uh, he's he, I mean we already knew he's a braver man than we are but now we definitely know he's a braver man than we are so yeah I've got a couple of points to make one which is a bit of a fly in the ointment I personally thought and this is just to give another side of this that the backstory of one of the characters felt a little pat 
not very it just felt a little okay all right yeah I, yeah fine not to detract from the film it's just to let but you know but entirely necessary to the story i'm not saying it isn't necessary i'm mm. just saying i didn't it didn't feel real and didn't feel that yeah come at me bro yeah, come on. i didn't it didn't feel I, I didn't i didn't feel it i didn't it, i didn't connect with that okay i would also say this is on a level this was number one i think for three weeks maybe four actually in the u.s and it is hoovered up cash uh this will be number one in the uk for a long time too i think i think this film is on a level of Avatar, where you need to go and see it, and you need to go and see it in the cinema because so many people are going to be talking about this. I say that not necessarily saying it's good or bad; it's very good, but you will need to have seen this hmm. uh, yeah. socially. It's yeah. great as well. It's an original property. It's not a sequel to anything. It's not based on a breakfast cereal or a toy or anything like that. So uh, let's uh, back original ideas, large scale original ideas, because if the more we back them, the more we'll get them. Five stars for Gravity I think we're pretty much all agreed about that one absolutely I'd say so yeah. yes. uh, film of the year film of the year for you film of the year not quite there for me but it's it's on my top ten wow there you go there you go take that Alfonso Cuaron <laughs> not quite my film of the year damning damning I cannot believe you just said that <laughs> honestly on this day of all days I know sorry uh, and I just his punch as well yeah Sorry, man. All right, next up is a documentary that marks the directorial debut of one Alec Baldwin teaming up with his good friend James Toback to make a treatise on the nature of fame. It was shot at the Cannes Film Festival in 2012 and made its debut there this year. It's called Seduced and Abandoned, but will it seduce us or leave us abandoned? Ali. It will make you laugh, it will make you smile, it will make you think a little bit about the dangerous and, I say dangerous, the somewhat complicated world of film financing. Uh, we're hearing more and more in the, the press, uh, you know, on our own website about how difficult mid-range movies are to make, you know, between that 10 million, 30 million mark, that's increasingly hard, and if you're not part of a superhero property, you're not, as you say, making something off the back of a breakfast cereal, it's increasingly difficult. And this is an opportunity for you to watch these two people, Alec Baldwin and James Toback, walk around Cannes and have a nice jolly, have a few drinks and speak <laughs> to a bunch of famous people. It doesn't really dig into the difficult, difficult world of making movies as much as you'd like it to. That being said, it is a lot of fun and you'll smile as you watch it. There's some great interviews in particular with Martin Scorsese and also with uh, Jessica Chastain and uh, Ryan Sexy Sexy Gosling. So... There's lots of that to be getting on with. Like you can enjoy talking to them, or I say talking to them, hearing from them. But really, it doesn't get that much into it. And uh, there are a couple of amusing moments where essentially their premise is that Toback and Baldwin are, are pitching this idea of Last Tango in Paris, but in Iraq. So for me, one of the most unpitchable pitches ever. But they're saying, hey, we've got Alec Baldwin, and hey, we've got this other guy, and you know, could we make this movie happen? And everyone from the Iranian Film Commission to you know Outer Mongolia's, uh, you know grant service say yeah, no not really we'll give you a couple of million but that's pretty much it anyway I have a question Ali it's slightly amusing yes as I, I, hands up I haven't, I haven't seen it I, I confess this but uh, why is it called Seduced and Abandoned it is a reference to a film it was an Italian film in the 60s which was called Seduced and Abandoned but it's about the idea of being brought into this world oh mm. it's so exciting and there are glittering lights and we can get to make art this is great and then you get there and they go well actually you're going to have to shovel some shit a bit here and you've got to do this movie and don't forget to do that movie and that will increase your presence and then you'll become something else and then they go and we're bored of you goodbye ah. so there's a little bit of poetry to it I Excellent. think they would have made it a little bit I think approachable if they'd made it the Alec Baldwin banter hour <laughs> yeah, like, I would, I would. Also known as Here's the Thing, which is a great podcast. Let's all fund that one right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we gave that 
three stars. Three English stars for Seduced and Abandoned. And uh, that's pretty much it in terms of the films that are out this week. Uh, we will give a mention to, in key cities, How to Survive a Plague, which is a, a documentary about the uh, the rise of, of HIV and AIDS in America, uh, the early years anyway, directed by David France. And that is an excellent documentary. We give it four stars. And then also we have Love Tomorrow, which is a romantic drama about two ballet dancers that we have titled Wax Swan, which gives you an idea of how good it is. Two stars, sadly, for that one. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined, movie gods permitting, because the interviews haven't happened yet, by the star of The Butler, Mr. Forrest Whitaker, and Ooh. one of the stars of high-concept horror movie In Fear and the bloke from Downton Abbey. It's, just, it's one guy, but he does two things. Alan Leach. They'll be in the pod booth. Amazing. Wow. Not together. To Archibald? No. Spelt differently. Mm. Yes, Mm. because that's one spelt Grant. Yes. Grant Leach. Uh, I should also point out for your calendars that our Thor The Dark World spoiler special with spoilerific interviews with Tom Hiddleston, Kevin Feige and Alan Taylor plus the four of us banging on about it at great length will be up on Monday the 11th once our American cousins have had a chance to check out the sequel. And if you're into your Tom Hiddleston, uh, our auction for a sketch of Loki's helmet by Tom Hiddleston, signed by Tom Hiddleston, uh, to raise money, all proceeds going to UNICEF is on eBay and is currently fetching two and a half thousand pounds, which is uh, pretty damn good. That's fantastic. It is fantastic. Never underestimate the Hiddlestoners and their massive wallets. That's what I say. Uh, but if you do fancy it, it's a it's a truly unique one-off thing to own, and it's all for a great cause. So go down there and uh, maybe up the bid. Who knows? And next Monday the 18th, we'll see a fantastic special with the King of Zombies himself, Mr. George A. Romero. So do check that one out. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Farewell. It's goodbye from Ali. Wax one, wax one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good night from Dan. And his love apples. <laughs> They're not seedless. It's a good night for a band, write it down. Um, goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Dan. And it is goodbye for me. I'm off to become handsome, smart, athletic, charismatic, and about 10 years younger. Uh, who am I kidding? 15 years younger to audition for Star Wars. See you next week. Bye. He can appreciate the absurdities in life and understand you can't take life too seriously. What a prick.